0: and welcome my friends to the generations broadcast kevin swanson your host with you adam McManus, our host on worldview.com on this edition and we're going to talk about president jimmy carter we're at a critical moment in history a critical moment for jimmy carter himself because my understanding is he's in hospice right now Adam.
1: He is. He's on on his virtual deathbed and his family has asked for privacy and and thank the world for their comments of encouragement. And you
0: have memories of Jimmy Carter. He was president of the United States from 76 to 80 as I recall beat uh Ford for the uh, presidential office in 1976 and lost to Ronald Reagan in 1980.
1: Well, there is a personal McManus connection. My father, Mike McManus, was a reporter for Time Magazine, and he interviewed Jimmy Carter in the White House. He recalled how curious it was, the angle that the White House photographer took, Jimmy Carter shaking my dad's hand, because Jimmy Carter's 5'10", my dad's (laughs) 6'8". My dad's claim was somehow the photographer was kind of shooting in a way that accentuated uh, Jimmy Carter's height to make him look not as short compared to my father. I do recall that Jimmy Carter, you know, I never have subscribed to Playboy and am obviously an opponent of the magazine. But I remember a lot of press reports on how curious they thought it was that in an interview with Playboy magazine, President Jimmy Carter talked about being a born-again Christian, and he confessed that he had had lust in his heart. And I know you've recently purchased his 2018 book, his last book, Faith, A Journey for All, in which he references his personal relationship with Christ. And you are, in today's broadcast, going to take some time to look at his worldview and determine whether or not it is indeed a biblical one.
0: You got it. And I think the issue here, Adam, is that uh Jimmy Carter is a product of liberal theology that comes out of the twentieth century. Of course, it's not for us to determine whether or not he has true faith. You know, that will be determined by God and by God alone at the final judgment. And and so we don't make final judgments, but we do say there's caution here. His theology set him in a wrong direction. So by the time you get to 2018, he's stepping out and acknowledging his support for homosexuality, which is an abomination to God. Uh, you know, it's clear in Scripture. There, there's no doubt at all for anybody who takes the Scriptures literally uh, that homosexuality is a sin against God. The homosexual action is a sin against God. Leviticus 20, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and you can go on and on. There are many references to homosexuality being a sin, and not only a sin, but a crime. And that's something that uh, Jimmy Carter is not going to support. Uh, so his liberal theology just gave way to liberal policy over and over again in his career. And here's an example. You pulled this off of a recent interview done with Jimmy Carter. Again, the former president, Jimmy Carter, is commenting on homosexual marriage on this segment. So let's just play this so folks can hear it. Everybody should have a right to get married, regardless of their sex. The only thing I would draw a line on, I wouldn't be in favor of the government being able to force a local church congregation to perform gay marriages if they didn't want to. But those two partners should be able to go to the local courthouse or to a different church and get married. All right, so we would say, you know, thank you very much for not uh, forcing me to, <laughs> you know, uh, support homosexual marriage or as a, a pastor officiate uh, uh, these uh, abominable mirages, as we call them. They're not, not; It's not a marriage. It's not a marriage. I mean, come on. A marriage is that which is instituted by God. And uh, this uh, coming together of, t- of two men who live in... Uh, perverted sexual relationship with each other just simply cannot be considered a marriage that that union is not a marital union it's uh, it's something different than that and uh but but i believe and i think by reading his books and understanding his mentors you're going to come to the conclusion that we came to and that is that jimmy carter's liberal theology gives way to his liberal policies that's the way it works
1: In addition to the scriptures you referenced, it's helpful to remember Ephesians 5 because in Ephesians 5, Paul points to the picture of Christ and he is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And so biblical pictures and metaphors are totally deep-sixed if you buy into this humanist reinterpretation of what marriage is, divorcing itself from what God intended it to be, as laid out in Genesis 2.24 and beyond.
0: And in 2018, former President Jimmy Carter announced that uh, Jesus Christ would approve gay marriage. That's a quote-unquote. And that hit the media. And, you know, again, these are the sorts of things that indicate to me that he is way off base. And, uh, you know, I think at this point, we need to be praying for jimmy carter he's he's preparing to meet his maker and he's not in good shape spiritually speaking as you read his books and i'm going to get into segments of jimmy carter's book in fact as his last book published in 2018 faith a journey for all he he wrote something i'm going to say 60 70 books so he's prolific author and uh I I went ahead and bought uh, Jimmy Carter's recent book, Faith, A Journey for All, and I didn't really want to spend the money on it, but I did. And I think we need to understand something of the worldview, the liberal theology that has destroyed so many, that has destroyed our country, and continues to destroy churches and so many others, countless millions who have been deceived by a wrong religion. Be back with more in just a moment on The Generations Broadcast. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk, and those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado Mountains, to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to ColoradoFatherSon.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to ColoradoFatherSon.com and register today. And we are back on Generations. Kevin Swanson, your host, with you, as well as Adam McManus from theworldly.com. And I purchased President Jimmy Carter's book, Faith, A Journey for All. In order to better understand the liberal theology has destroyed this country, and first of all, one positive note, as we review the book ever so quickly on this short program, and that is, Adam, Jimmy Carter is known very much for the separation of faith and life, for the separation of you know, my faith from my politics. And of course, that was fairly common in America for, I'm going to say, hundreds of years. And so, you know, a lot of politicians are, whether Republican or Democrat, tend to say, I don't really want to apply my faith to my life or certain segments of my life. Uh, but here he made an exception. And this is what's interesting, makes this segment somewhat interesting. This comes from Faith, A Journey for All. During the formal White House banquet that Rosalind and I hosted for our Chinese visitors, the Chinese premier, Deng, leaned over and said softly, "Miss President, you have helped to achieve great things for the Chinese people. I wonder if there's anything we could do in China for you. After a few moments, I recalled that during my childhood, our most revered heroes were Christian missionaries in China, especially a woman named Lati Moon, and that under the communist regime, all missionaries had been expelled and neither Bibles nor worship were permitted. I finally responded, yes, there are three things I would like to for your government to let people worship freely to own bibles and for our missionaries to return, he seemed taken back and replied, "Well, I will have to think about this, and we'll let you know the next morning. Deng told me that he would grant two of my requests, but that no foreign missionaries would be permitted to come back into the country because they had acted like superiors and attempted to change Chinese cultural habits all right, so that's the same it's interesting um, I don't know you know how much <laughs> was accomplished in this exchange, but there it was.
1: Lottie Moon is a name I'm familiar with, having been on staff at a Baptist church, a Southern Baptist church in Durham, North Carolina, overseeing the college group at the time. They would often do a Lottie Moon missionary offering for overseas foreign missionaries. Jimmy Carter is a Baptist. Lottie Moon was known for having served in China, and that's why they named the Foreign Missionary Fund after her. If there was anything done at the time. In the 1970s in China, on behalf of religious liberty, it has not just dissipated, but they've gone in the absolute opposite yeah. direction. Under the leadership of President yep. Xi Jinping, yep, yep, he yep. has attempted to recreate the mm-hmm. church in his own image as he has insisted upon socialist and Chinese nationalist themes to be inculcated as Part of almost scripture, as it were.
0: Uh, Sadly, uh, nothing has changed about the worldview that dominates the communist state in China. But uh, let's take a look. Briefly, I'm going to go over this this book uh, that Jimmy Carter wrote during the waning years of his life, Faith, A Journey for All. And I, I find two factoids about Jimmy Carter from the book. First, he uses evangelical phraseology, which became very popular in the 1970s. Phraseology would never have been used by Grover Cleveland or William McKinley or Franklin Delano Roosevelt. But you get into the Jesus movement in the 1970s, and it's very, very popular. I mean, you think about you know how much influence evangelicals had in the 1970s. And so what you do get is evangelical phraseology. You get it. You get that in the former president's book, Faith, A Journey for All. He would say this several times throughout the book. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. So that's that's very commonly used in evangelical phraseology. But at the same time, when he's using the evangelical phraseology, he stuffs it with the wrong ideas. He retains a liberal theology. So we often find wildly inaccurate, unorthodox teachings throughout. And I think the, the lesson learned here is we've got to be cautious with the religious language these days. We can't be satisfied with somebody saying, I believe Jesus is my Savior, or something Jimmy Carter would love to say. It's a pat little phrase, but okay, now, which Jesus? and what's salvation, and what is your definition of sin? And we've come back to this a number of times, because I really think this is endemic to what's going on in liberal evangelicalism today, the, the devil's in the definitions. You know how they used to say the devil's in the details, or <laughs> <laughs> the devil's in the definitions. I love that. I, I think that's what's
1: happening here. Well said, well said. There is an interesting turn of connotations in 2023. I mean just the word tolerance for example. Tolerance used to mean that if I disagreed with homosexuality I would tolerate that person making a sinful choice and that homosexual would tolerate me as a Christian believing it was a sinful choice. Now the left has redefined the word tolerance to mean that I as a Christian must approve of something that the Bible specifically describes as an abomination or a sin. The same is true in Jimmy Carter's book, Faith, A Journey for All, in which he is using religious phrases and language that is something that we would use and yet he means something entirely differently than, than we yeah. do. And, and I would say, yeah. you know, as another example, the Mormons, when they say Jesus, what Jesus are they talking about?
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And let me give you another example of, of that uh, in Jimmy Carter's book, The Faith, A Journey for All. He speaks of the seven deadly sins, and then he brings up pride. And, you know, so far, so good, right? We're like, oh, yeah, good. Okay. We're on track now. But immediately, you know, as he brings up pride, he says, "Well, that's manifested in a refusal to allow women to be pastors in the churches." What? Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> chapter and verse on that one, you know. So the equivocation of the stuffing biblical words with his own meaning is just constant throughout. It says men are chauvinist and proud if they will not hold to equal submission to one another in the marriage as man, woman in the marriage equal submission. As opposed to Paul's admonition that women submit to and obey their husbands, while husbands love their wives, um, but he, you know, equates the whole submission thing. It's like, oh well, yeah, we all just submitted to each other, and that's a total egalitarian approach. Otherwise, if you don't take the egalitarian approach, you're sinning against God, and that's my definition of sin. And now you better repent of it, big boy. You know. So again, he's making it up as he goes. Ethics is whatever the zeitgeist says. It's going to be at the moment, and he's going to read that into the Bible. Now, his theological roots are found in Karl Barth and Emil Bruner, the ideas that led up to Neo-Orthodoxy. Now, Bart held that the Bible contained the Word of God and that the Bible was full of errors, but that God would somehow use Scripture to enable a personal encounter with himself. It was a halfway house away from heterodoxy, The liberalism of the 19th century, which was just awful, completely destroying the faith. But this was the halfway house that was supposed to salvage the faith in the 20th century, but it didn't. It led to liberal theologians, and like Reinhold Niebuhr and Paul Tillich, these two were Jimmy Carter's mentors. All right, his theological mentors, Reinhold Niebuhr and Paul Tillich. Uh, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But Jimmy Carter also just loves J. Stephen Gould, and you know who he is, right? The evolutionist, and and he says he believed in evolution. Evolution's really big in his worldview, absolutely, the evolution of man and all the rest. And he even says that he believes in the evolution of ethics or morality. That man will have to evolve morally. The Ten Commandments he sees as part of this quote developing morality. Now I say that, and you're like, um. Um, um, that's bad. <laughs> if I was to tell you, you know, the Bible's got some good things. Kind of an evolving morality, and we need to get to the point in which you know we we're you know using homosexual marriage and all the rest. And these are the roots of that. This is this is why Barack Obama. This is why Jimmy Carter. This is it. It comes directly from Niebuhr and Tillich. It comes from J. Stephen Gould. It comes from President Jimmy Carter, who's one of the. You know, country theologians, he's, he's, he's got a winsome way of just writing and presenting himself. Um, but wow, I mean, think about how horrible that is to, to find that morality itself is something that's supposed to evolve. Horrible, just horrible. He has irresponsible, inaccurate, outrageous, heterodoxic statements like this. Jesus is worshipped, not because he was perfect and without sin but because God was present in him. Now, that's just, you know, forget that. The other thing that's interesting, and again, this is the sort of thing that you've got to watch out for. doesn't matter if it's, you know, your Pastor Billy Bob at local Baptist church or, you know, President Jimmy Carter writing in his book, Faith, A Journey for All. You've got to watch out for these constant references to me, to me. You know I read this at the beginning. uh he said to me, Jesus Christ is not an object to be worshipped, but a person and a constant companion. now, ah, there's an ouch to me but but the point is he's saying it's to me that's the way I want my jesus remember the remember the song it was plastic Jesus do you remember that?
1: Yes, in fact, I think I first heard about it through you. <laughs> Oh you did? Okay. I did not know about it. Well, the idea that
0: you could you can kind of mold right. your Jesus. Uh, I I mean like a Gumby Jesus, you know. To me, Jesus, I mean just kind of Gumby, you know, kind of mold him into the shape where I want him
1: to be. Constructing a god of his own meaning. All of this, Kevin, Something like reminds that. me of no doubt the terribly unorthodox teachings that he championed as a Sunday school teacher at Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia. The fact that he wasn't just a person in the pew, of course he was, he had the bully pulpit of the presidency, and that's a lot more influential, obviously, than than a Sunday school teacher, even with three or four hundred people in attendance. When you're the leader of the most powerful nation in the world, that's one of the biggest bully pulpits you can have. Unfortunately, he divorced his Christianity from his service in office, number one. And number two, he divorced the Bible from his construct of Christianity. So it was a double divorce. It's scary.
0: This kind of stuff is scary, you know, because you're, you're going off the deep end. Uh, in terms of your definition of God, your definition of Christ, your definition of sin, and you know, and the gospel, and uh, this is a train wreck, and it certainly has impacted the lives of tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions, of people. Again, he quotes Paul Tillich. Listen to this: doubt is not the opposite of faith; it is one element of faith. That, that's just nuts. You read something like that, you what? I know he's supposed to be this, you know, genius theologian who just sits there smoking his pipe or whatever and acting as if he knows everything. And and we're all supposed to say, oh, we're not worthy to be in your presence as you spout out these wonderful maxims. But no, that doesn't make any sense at all. The Bible says he that doubts is damned. <laughs> you know, that's King James Version for I think it's Matthew third or Romans 13. Um but uh, but let me say this also, these theologians uh, upon which the former President of the United States has uh, uh, formed his own theology and, and been deceived terribly are guys like Paul Tillich, who taught for many years at Union Theological Seminary in New York. According to his wife, Hannah, who wrote about their life together and from time to time, it's a book called From Time to Time. Uh, this guy had multiple affairs. He was promiscuous. I mean, just a nastode. Uh, similar to the Mennonite theologian John Howard Yoder. Who uh, who is, again, uh, similar to, to Paul Tillich, a, a liberal in his theology, a liberal in his politics. John Howard Yoder has been acknowledged as a serial sexual predator now, renowned Christian ethicist, influential, influential, influential politics of Jesus was his big book. Yoder abused more than 100 women during the 1970s and 80s while at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary. So you know, these are the sorts of guys that have formed the liberal theology of the 20th century, just awful people. Uh, Martin Luther King, Jimmy Carter, both followers of Paul Tillich. But by their fruits, ye shall know them, guys. By their fruits, ye shall know them. Just awful stuff. If you're a born-again, genuine Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to read by their fruits, ye shall know them and know that Paul Tillich is way off the deep end. Way off the deep end. These are the liberal theologians that worked hard to destroy the faith from the inside out in America. Uh, they ate out the faith in America like parasites. That's how R.J. Rushduni put it as he was describing Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich spouts out philosophical gibberish such as God is beyond existence or non-existence, which is just sheer nonsense. God is the great I am. He's the ultimate existence. What is he, beyond existence? No, no. He's the ultimate existence. That's what the word of God bears out. If, if Paul Tillich was reading the Bible, it might have been helpful. Uh, in theology of culture, Paul Tillich said the idea that God provides authoritative revelations is more dangerous than atheism. You know, the idea that that God would write down his thinking for us, he would convey his knowledge to us, his ethical view his, his view of all things that are necessary for faith and life, the idea that he would convey that to us in authoritative revelation is just dangerous, terrible, Paul says. Paul Tillich also says a moral act is not an act in obedience to an eternal divine law. Okay, okay? <laughs> a moral act is not an act of obedience really? to God. That's not morality. Sin is an act that contradicts self-realization. That's what sin is. So, okay, when somebody says that sin is an act that contradicts self-realization, in the sort of existentialistic false religion, a me centric view of ethics, a man centric view of ethics at probably the, the most self-conscious self-consistent uh, way to express it. You have to say, um, <clears throat> wrong religion way off. Uh uh-uh. You know, this is as satanic as you can possibly get. Now this, these are the guys that influenced Martin Luther King. These are the guys that influenced Uh, Jimmy Carter, and the other liberals from the uh, 20th century.
1: Paul Tillich sounds like he's high on drugs when he says things like that. Sin is an act that contradicts self-realization.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Actually, I was thinking the very same thing. (laughs) I was thinking it just sounds like John Paul Sartre, who wrote all of his best stuff on drugs. I wouldn't be surprised at all.
1: I was a religion major at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and time and time again, they would dish out this pablum and act as though Paul Tillich was John Piper, or John MacArthur, or R.C. Sproul. Like, this was not only biblical, but it was thoughtful, and it was important, and we needed to study it, and memorize it, and internalize it, and meditate upon it. Time and time again, I'd raise my hand, you know, I remember objecting to their conclusion, well, that Isaiah couldn't possibly have been written before Christ, it was obviously written after Christ and attributed to the prophet Isaiah because the prophecies here are too accurate. And I said, well, if there is a God which you proclaimed you believe there is a God and he's outside of us and he is the divine being and he is the creator, would it not be possible for him to reveal the future 700 years beforehand, before something occurred? I would constantly get penalized on my papers and my essays because uh, I think I raised these issues. And you're bringing back some bad Mm -hmm. memories about Paul Tillich, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, you know, and it wasn't just Paul Tillich, it was Reinhold Niebuhr as well, who happens to be Barack Obama's favorite theologian, wrote a book called Christ and Culture. Um, And and Niebuhr speaks of Christ as not the Jesus of history that walked in Jerusalem, uh, but rather a pure abstraction. Christ is a symbol. Niebuhr would say, Christ is a symbol both of what man ought to be and of what God is beyond man. So, again, you know, what is this? It's not biblical. It's just some guy sitting there smoking something and coming up with, you know, arguably cultic statements that eventually affect a fairly high percentage of American Christians somehow or other. Niebuhr conveyed an extremely low view of scripture in his Introduction to Christian Ethics, published at roughly the same time as Christ and Culture. Niebuhr Explicitly claim that in Scripture sharp antitheses occur, that is, contradictions. Uh, Niebuhr does not want to define sin by God's law, but uses his own arbitrary list of sins based in the word pride. Again, usually it comes back to the word pride, and then pride is applied however he wants to be applied, which is precisely what Jimmy Carter does in his book. And you know, as it turns out, uh, sin was anomia. The Bible says sin is the transgression of the law. That's First John chapter four. Sin is the transgression of the law. Well, that's not the way Niebuhr takes it, and that's uh, not the way that Paul Tillich is going to take it either. He says anxiety is this is again. Niebuhr says anxiety is the internal precondition of sin. Um, where is that in the Bible? I thought man's problem was enmity with God. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he he missed that one too. So. So here's an interesting comment from a guy named Zachary Oliver writes online about Niebuhr. Niebuhr rightly, rightfully in my eyes, earns the title of secular theologian. Just look to Barack Obama's mention of him during the 2008 political season and you'll see why. And some call him the most influential theologian of the 20th century. Uh, But he says this again, this is Zachary Oliver. Niebuhr strikes a political figure more than anything else. To his own detriment, he adopts Christian ideas but secularizes them as a public theologian endeavoring to make social change, yet still allowing secular persons to join in on the fun. In that sense, does Bonhoeffer get what he wants, content, content without form, but this also misses the point of Christianity as a faith, rather than simply recognition of human flaws. He adopts a Bartian model with a political error, but that still does not solve the problem of authority. Why should Christianity be the particular way in which social change comes? If Christianity exists merely as a language for political methodology, why bother with those arbitrary divine ideas overlaid on it? So I thought that was a pretty good apologetic against the Uh, the the halfway house in which you're still borrowing some religious language from Scripture, but stuffing all your preconceived notions into it. So these liberal theologians undermined the essential authority of the Word of God, the historicity of Jesus, the ethics of Scripture, making room for the zeitgeist of feminism, homosexuality, sexual perversion, evolution, and, of course, just humanism, man being the center, man being the source of ethics, man being his own source of truth, etc., So they chipped away at the biblical reality of sin, the authority of Scripture, the reality of Christ coming into history, the humanity, the deity of Jesus as real and relevant as your life and my life on planet Earth. They chipped away on all that. So eventually all we're left with is doubt, which according to Tillich is part of faith anyway, or whatever he was saying. But friends, we, we, we must insist on God speaking through his word, entering our world, creating our world and then entering our world that God really was offended by real sin committed by breaking his real law in that he had to send his real son in real human flesh to die on a real cross, to shed real blood for our real sins so that we would really be saved. And so that we'd really be glorified. And so we'd really go to a real and new heavens and new earth at the end. Okay. So that's it. That's, that's the story. That's the truth of God's Word, and it's not just a story. It's a history. It's, it's what Jesus did in history. As, as real as what I did this morning when I ate my breakfast, Jesus came in real flesh. He ate breakfast too. He died on the cross, absolutely, rose from the dead, and he's on the right hand of the Father, and he will rule until his enemies are under his footstool, including all this bad theology. And by the way, liberal theology is pretty much over. I, I think this is probably the last book, written on liberal theology, (laughs) quoting Paul Tillich. I I don't think there's going to be much more after the death of Jimmy Carter. Well, uh, let's pray for Jimmy Carter. Let's, uh, let's, Let's call out to God that he would have mercy on his soul as he approaches his last days on earth, that he'd reject this theology and receive the real Jesus who died on the cross for real sins, the real breaking transgressions of God's real law. That wraps up this edition of the Generations Broadcast, friends. Uh, I have more on this, on what happened with neo orthodox what happened with the liberalization of theology over the last three centuries in my book, The Rise and Fall of the West. It's called Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West. Get the full story. With this book, Epoch, The Rise and Fall of the West, available at Generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.